If y'all have got a Bible, you can turn to John 21. I want to read a um, resurrection appearance of Jesus. It happened, we don't know exactly when, more than a week um, after Easter Sunday, but sometime obviously before Pentecost, so somewhere two weeks to six weeks after his resurrection. Starting in uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, that's doubting Thomas, you may know him as that, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So I'll set this up for you. There's a map. So this appearance of Jesus occurred up by the Sea of Galilee which is about 70 miles from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is that yellow arrow. And then there's a town up there, red, called Bethsaida. That's where Peter was from, where James and John were probably from as well. Cana, where Nathaniel, we just read, he's from, is that green arrow. That whole region is called Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee was a, a place, there was, it's prominent in the Gospels. Jesus did a lot of ministry there. And again, that's where several of these disciples are from. So when we close Easter... Everything is happening in Jerusalem. If you remember, Jesus and the disciples have gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It's a massive festival. All these Jewish pilgrims come into Jerusalem to celebrate. They're Jesus that is, is arrested, he's tortured, he's killed, and he rises from the dead. And all that happens in Jerusalem. And the disciples stay in Jerusalem. The festival extends about a week and the disciples stay in Jerusalem for that week. But now it's over. The festival is over, and so the disciples have gone home. That's where they live. They live up there by the Sea of Galilee, and so these seven guys have all gone home. And Jesus actually told them, uh, Michelle read it uh, earlier today, y'all go to Galilee, and I'll I'll see you there. That's what the message Jesus passes on through some of the women who saw him on Easter Sunday. So all of those guys have gone home. And now Peter has decided to go fishing. And some people make a big deal about that because Peter was a fisherman. And so was James. And so was John. And maybe all of these guys were. It was a big industry in this area. But at least those fishing, it may be, hey, this is just something I do on Saturdays as a hobby or to relax. If Peter says it, is it some indication that he's going back to a previous lifestyle? Is he somehow disconnecting from Jesus? Does he feel like he's no longer one of the twelve are no longer commissioned or called to do this work. Is the same thing true of James and John. Jesus, as you'll see, doesn't make a big deal about the fact that they're fishing. And so I don't know that we should make a big deal out of the fact they're fishing. They don't really, I think they just don't know what to do. Jesus said, go to Galilee and wait for me. And so while they're waiting, either they're hungry, and so they want to go fishing, or they want to make some money. And so they want to go fishing where it's all they've known, and so they go fishing. I, I wouldn't make a big deal out of the fact that they're going fishing. I wouldn't necessarily read anything into that in terms of their heart posture towards Jesus. So they've been fishing all night, and they haven't caught anything. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, probably because it's still dark outside. They've already seen Jesus a couple of times. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? I'm sure that's what every fisherman wants to hear when they don't have any fish. No, they answered. 
Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, I think it's that, that's John, and that's how he always refers to himself. Y'all can draw your own conclusions about that. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 to be exact. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus, again, it's a hundred yards, a decent distance. I think it's early, so maybe it's still dark. He calls to them from the beach. Do you all have any fish? He already knows the answer. They say no. Throw your net under the right side of the boat. And for some reason, they, they do. I don't know why. Maybe they figure they've got nothing to lose. And they throw their nets, like a drag net, on the right side of the boat. And they pull in this large catch of fish. And John, in that moment, recognizes it's Jesus. Maybe it, the sun's come up more and he can see him better. Maybe it reminds John of a scene in Luke 5, another time where he and Peter had been fishing all night and had not caught any fish. And Jesus says... Drop your net one more time, and they do, and they bring in a huge catch. Maybe it reminded him of that. We don't know, but he recognizes Jesus, and he says it's Jesus. And Peter, who, like in our terminology, is just wearing his underwear, puts his clothes on. He doesn't want to be disrespectful to Jesus. So he actually puts on his clothes to swim, which is the opposite of what we would think he would do. But he puts on his clothes and jumps in the water, and he swims, and he leaves the rest of the guys to haul in this catch of 153 fish. People have tried for centuries to find some symbolic meaning to the number 153. And if you need something to do this afternoon, you can look into that. There's dozens of options. They're all great. None of them have any scriptural support. But it's not going to hurt if you want to do that. It's just somebody counted. One of those guys counted. And there's, a, there's 153 fish. Their nets don't rip. And they get to the beach. And Jesus, is all, he's already got what he needs. He's already cooking. There's a fire, he's already got fish, he's already got bread, and yet he invites them to contribute. Why don't you guys bring me some of your fish? To me, it's a beautiful picture of the way he includes us. He doesn't need us, he desires us. There's a, a relational piece to his work there. And so the disciples bring the fish, and they sit down, and they have this meal. And they, they all recognize it's him. And again, this is in John's gospel. This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to this group. On Easter Sunday, he appeared to... All of them minus Thomas. A week later, he appears to all of them, including Thomas. And now at some point after that, he appears to this group of seven. And I think all of that, that whole story with the fish, is just to get to this. I think this is the key that Jesus was going for. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, they're taking a walk at this point. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Again, I think all of that with the fish was just to get to this. He wants some time with Peter. If we kept reading to the end of that chapter, you would see that they're walking and John is following behind, maybe in a creepy way, I don't know, but it's Peter and Jesus are walking. And there's, you may have heard there's the different words for love used there. I wouldn't read a whole lot into that. They're used interchangeably often, not all the time, but in this case they're used interchangeably. I think the significant things that I see in here are two. One is that, that first question, do you love me more than these? I think what Jesus is referring to, I think he's saying, do you love me more than these other six guys love me? Do you, Peter, love me more than these guys love me? If you remember, in the upper room, uh, the night of his betrayal and arrest, Jesus says to the disciples, all of y'all are going to scatter. The sh- the, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. All of y'all are going to run away. You're going to desert me. And Peter says, if every other one of these guys, the other 11 of these guys desert you, I'm not. I'll die for you. And we all know how that works out for him. He denies knowing Jesus three times. And I think Jesus is intentionally saying, hey, do you love me more than these guys love me? The last time we were in a setting like this, you compared your love for me to the love other people have for me. You based, maybe not based, but your assessment of your love for me was, was, it was, it was relative to how you felt like these other guys would do. Are you still doing that? And I think you see growth in Peter when he doesn't, he doesn't say, yes, I love you more than they love you. What he says is, God, you know that I love you. You know, Jesus, that I love you, period. He's, it, it, there's a, some growth there and some humility in Peter over the last couple of weeks where he's realized, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not better than these other guys. Maybe my love doesn't run deeper than the love these other guys have for him and Jesus, my love for you kind of stands on its own. It's not in comparison to these other guys. It's not a competition. I'm not running against them. It's just, you know how I feel about you. And I think the number three, obviously, is significant. Three times Peter denies knowing Jesus, and three times Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to express his commitment to and love for him. It's a full and complete restoration. You can see it's a full and complete restoration because Jesus actually gives Peter a new job. At the beginning, when he initially calls Peter into ministry he says you have been fishing for fish and now you're going to fish for people and what he says here is you're not just going to fish for people you're going to take care of them you're going to be a shepherd to people it's an additional responsibility that jesus gives to peter and he says to peter in the upper room you said you would lay your life down for me you're actually going to do that and he predicts the way peter's going to die and church tradition says that within 30 years of this statement peter is crucified and some say even crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be Uh, crucified the same way Jesus was. We don't know if that happened. We do know Peter was crucified. We don't know if he was crucified upside down or not. So you see this picture of Jesus telling Peter that that statement that you made, 
it turns out it, it was prophetic. You are going to die. You are going to lay down your life for me. The resurrection is the best news ever for everyone. And it's also the best news ever for us, personally and individually. And I think John 21 is all about Peter. I think Jesus shows up on the beach in order to have this walk with Peter. He's already appeared to Peter a couple of times in groups. I don't know if it's awkward, if there's like the elephant in the room because, you know, Peter had denied knowing Jesus. And in Luke's gospel, when that rooster crows the last time and Peter denies knowing Jesus, we read that Jesus looks out the window and they kind of lock eyes together. And that was, I, I don't know. I don't know how that plays out for them in those group interactions. I don't know what Peter is feeling when they are, when, when he sees Jesus after that. But the setup on the beach, the setup with the boat, is reminiscent of two pivotal moments in Peter's life with Jesus, a highlight and a low light. The highlight is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's recorded in Luke 5. It's Peter's call story. It's Jesus inviting him to be an, a, a disciple, to follow him. Peter and his partners, James and John, and some other guys have been fishing all night. They hadn't caught anything. They're on the beach. They're clean, cleaning their nets. And Jesus, there's a large crowd, and he, he grabs Peter's boat, puts out in the water so he can teach. And after he's taught this crowd, he says to Peter, let's put out in deep water and let your nets down again, which is a big deal. They just cleaned their nets. It was a labor-intensive process. But Peter says, okay. He doesn't believe anything's going to happen, but because you say so, I'll do it. And he drops his net into the water, and he brings in this huge catch of fish, and it's so large, their nets begin to break, and their boats begin to sink. Peter's boat starts to sink. James and John's boat starts to sink. And in that moment, Peter falls down. That's what that painting, you can see that there in that painting. Peter falls down before Jesus and says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus' response is, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. He gives them this new task, this new identity as a follower and this new responsibility to fish for people. This scene in John 21, it looks a lot like it. You have some of the same guys on the same lake, Luke 5, John 21, both the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, they, they fish all night. They come up empty. Jesus redirects them. They do what he says. They bring in a large, a large catch of fish. I think all that's intentional. And I think Peter is remembering that in John 21. And there's also a low light. They say smell is the sense that is most tied to memory. And so I wonder when Peter gets on the beach and he sees this charcoal fire and he smells that, if he's reminded of a couple of weeks ago around a fire where a servant girl three different times says, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And three times he says, I don't even know who that guy is. You have highlight and low light, I think, in this one scene in John 21 kind of being recaptured for Peter. I think he's being reminded by Jesus of his initial calling as a disciple, of his initial commission to fish for people. And I think he's also being reminded of his denial, of his failure as a follower. And I think all that's being laid in front of Peter. And in the midst of all of that, with whatever's swirling around in Peter, Jesus then says to him, hey, why don't we take a walk? And I'm wondering how he thought of what he thought about that, too. I'm wondering what he thought about that. Lest you and me 
go take a walk, Peter. And on that walk, what Jesus does for him is what he does for us. He offers him a fresh start, which is what Easter is for us personally. It's an opportunity to start fresh. It's interesting to me that when Jesus addresses Peter, he doesn't address him as Peter, which is the name Jesus gave him. He addresses him as Simon, son of Jonah. That's his birth name, the name his mom and his dad gave him. But when Jesus meets him, he says, you're going to be called Peter. That's what he says at the very beginning of John. But he doesn't call him that here. He goes back to his birth name. And I don't think that's a, a criticism. I think it's this picture. Hey, we're starting from scratch here. We're starting over. The, the, the scene in, at the high priest's house where you denied me, that doesn't have to be defining moment for you. So starting at the beginning, Simon the son of John, going back to his identity relative to his birth family. Do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And when Peter answers affirmatively each time what he receives from Jesus, here's an identity and here's a commission. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Just like that Luke 5, that high point for Peter where Jesus calls him into his inner circle. Now here we see in John 21, Jesus doing the same thing again. It's a fresh start for Peter. We don't normally reward failure. We don't normally promote people who don't do their jobs well. And what Jesus does with Peter is he says, hey, you were fishing for people and now you're going to do even more. You're not just going to fish for them. You're going to take care of them. The way you denied me and fell away, you're going to take care of people in a way that they're not going to do that. He gives them a promotion in a sense, or at least an additional responsibility. You can see it that way. He increases Peter's commission. He doesn't decrease his commission. He gives them a fresh start. So the resurrection is for us personally. It's an opportunity to start fresh. And so this Easter morning, I would ask you, if all of this is the setup for you to take the walk, If he's here for you this morning, and he says, hey, why don't you come and take a walk with me? And he's offering you this morning a fresh start. Do you need it? Do you need a fresh start this morning? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. Many of you have made a decision to follow Jesus, and that's a reality for you. The old you is dead, and this new you in Christ is alive and is coming alive. And yet, even in the midst of that, there are times where we feel like there are areas of our life we say, I just, I need a reset in this area. I don't like the way this relationship is going. I don't like the way I'm responding in this circumstance. There's this area of my life where sin seems to have a grip on me. I'm in this pattern, and I don't seem to be able to break it. Easter for you is an opportunity to start fresh. There may be some of you who've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Can you hear this wonderful opportunity to start new today? The invitation from Jesus. We've sang those songs. He's done all the work. Jesus paid it all, not part. He did all the work to forgive you and to forgive me of our sin. He paid the price that 
for our sins that we deserve. Eternal separation from God. Judgment from God. And he offers to us the gift of relationship with God. And all we have to do is receive that. It's an opportunity to start fresh in all of life. And again, many of you have already said yes to that, but maybe there's an area of your life. We talked about this last week, the idea in the upper room where Jesus washes Peter's feet. And he says, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part of me. And Jesus and Peter says, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, that's not necessary. You're already clean. We just need to wash your feet. That may be for some of you that idea of a fresh start. You're already clean. You've gotten some dirt on your feet. It's an area of your life this morning we want to start fresh. C.S. Lewis said, aim for heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you get neither. Jesus offers us the opportunity to adjust our trajectory. That's what he does for Peter as well. You were fishing for people, now you're going to shepherd them. And Peter takes that very seriously. At the end of his life, uh, he's writing a letter, 1 Peter in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. He's writing to other shepherds and, he's very, and he says to them, I'm an elder and I'm speaking to you as elders. Shepherd the flock. He takes seriously this word that God gives, gave to him, that Jesus gives to him on the beach. It alters his trajectory. And I wonder for you and for me this morning, it's easy to get wrapped up. Jesus talks in the parable of the soils about the weeds that choke out the work of the kingdom in our life. And, and in an affluent society, those weeds are they're strong and they're persistent. The deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this world, the desire for other things. It's easy to begin to focus on those weeds because honestly they don't really look like weeds. They just look like life. And we wind up shifting our focus. We drop our view, our horizon changes from eternity to tomorrow. To what's just right in front of us. And we can wind up going for a week or a month or six months or a year. And we kind of, we lose our way in a sense. Not that we walk away from Jesus, but that our life is given to things that are temporal versus eternal. And maybe this Easter, what you want to say is, I need to refocus. I need to adjust my eyeline again. I want to adjust my trajectory. I want to aim for heaven and then trust God to throw earth in. I don't want to aim for earth and risk losing both. It doesn't mean that you spend all time, all your time in a closet praying at all. It's just a recognition that God is calling you and he's inviting you into an eternal partnership with him. What he says to those disciples, why don't y'all bring me some fish as he's cooking fish? Y'all bring me some of yours. And that's what he says to us. He doesn't need anything that we have and yet he invites us to offer and even the gifts that we offer are things that he's already given to us. The fish that they're bringing are the fish that he told them where to get. He, he, was a, he did the whole thing. And yet he still includes them in the process. And he does the same thing for you and he does the same thing for me. And so maybe this Easter you would say, I, in terms of a fresh start, I feel like I'm living that reality. Do you need to refocus this morning? Let this be kind of New Year's Day. Let this be your January 1st. Again, a resurrection day where you take stock and say, am I living with forever, with eternity in view? Do I recognize that God has invited me, not because he needs me, but because he wants me into this mission of his to see his kingdom come and his will be done here 
in Marietta and around the world as it is in heaven. And I have a part to play in that. And that's not pressure, that's invitation and privilege. And yes, there's responsibility, but it's not a heavy load because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Maybe for you, the most faithful thing you can do this Easter is to be reminded of your commission. The one that Jesus gives in Galilee, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. You have a part to play in that this morning. You don't have to do it on your own. He gives you his spirit to do so. Let's take a time of prayer, and then the band's going to come up, and we're going to close with worship. We won't have um, personal ministry in the front this morning. So close your eyes with me if you would. you to think just for a couple of seconds about the reality of a resurrected Savior. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then that means he's alive. And if he's alive, then that means he's present to us this morning. So allow that to sink in and give yourself the, the freedom or the grace say, this is for me. And that's not selfish because it's for all of us. I want you to personalize and individualize this morning. Jesus is here for you. He's here for you. And he wants to take a walk with you. What's your response? You nervous? You excited? I would imagine it would be both. What do you think he would say on this walk with you? You may just want to ask him that. Jesus, I'm available to you here this morning. I want to hear your voice. Whatever this kind of metaphorical walk is, I want to say yes. What would you say to me this morning? may have nothing to do with anything we've talked about. You grab onto that as the word of God for you this morning. If you need some handholds, maybe ask the question. Is there a place where I need a fresh start? Is there a place where I need a fresh start this morning? My feet are dirty. If there is, I just invite the Lord and let Easter be encouragement to you. That he offers fresh starts. And you may say, this isn't the first time I've started fresh in this area. That's okay. That's okay. You may want to just pray this prayer. God, in this area of my life, I'm asking you to help me start fresh. I confess you can confess whatever that is. I want to repent of that behavior, that thought pattern. And I want to believe that this morning as we celebrate your resurrection, that not only are my sins forgiven, but there's resurrection power available to me 
to live differently moving forward. And so I ask you for that. I thank you for the forgiveness that you paid or that you made available for me through your obedience to death on the cross. And I thank you for the gift of your spirit that's available because you've ascended into heaven. And so I pray now for your resurrection power in this area of my life. Give me grace to start fresh. Give me grace to walk in a new direction. Maybe lifestyle, your focus, what you're living for. And it maybe would be a gentle rebuke or just a reminder. Maybe you've lost sight of your calling and your commission. And if that's the case, maybe what you would want to pray is, Jesus, I thank you that because of your resurrection, death is defeated and there's more to life than this life. That there's an eternal purpose that you're working out in the hearts of men and women and on this wor- and in this world that you have created. And I thank you that you've invited me to be a part of that. And so this morning I recommit to cooperating with you. I recommit to engaging with you in your mission here in Marietta where you've planted me. Would you remind me of my calling? God, I would pray for men and women in this room. There may be an additional responsibility that you would want to give to them as you did to Peter. I pray they would hear that not as pressure, but as privilege. A demonstration of the fact that you trust them. And so you're giving them more. Would you do that even this Easter morning? Would you give them more? In your own heart, you may just want to say before the Lord, give me grace, God. I live in a culture with lots of weeds. I pray that you would give me grace to pull those weeds out of my own heart so that my focus can be on heaven. I want to live with eternity in view. I want to give myself to things that matter ultimately. I recognize that they're honor. I want to do that absolutely. And I want to do all of those things in the power of your spirit and with an eye towards eternity. Give me grace to focus this Easter morning. I pray that the resurrection for me would adjust my sight line. That I would not just look at my calendar for this week or this month. I would not just look at the to-do list that's on my, it's in my inbox. The mile markers that maybe our culture would lay out for me. God, that you would change my horizon. That an empty tomb would remind me that death is not the end, it's a doorway. And so I would live with that in view. God, I pray for the men and the women in this room, and I pray for each of us as we go through the rest of this day, that we would do so with a keen awareness of the fact that because we have a Savior who's been raised from the dead, that Savior is present and available to us in life. As we close with worship, I pray that you would stir deep and profound joy in each one of our hearts. 
that we would all recognize that last song that we sang, this reckless love that you have for us that led even to death on a cross. Sufferings rooted, motivated by love. And God, as we close in worship, that we would return that love to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand and worship with us as we close.